Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888-ROAD-DOG. You may want to hold off on the phone calls right now, uh, and I'll let you know why here in a minute. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. If you've got questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, you name it, we'll talk about it here. Today, we are going to focus on tax. It's that time of year again. We're going to do our annual tax time show. We did one last year, and it turned out to be one of our most requested shows. So a couple things we're going to do different this year. Uh, I'm going to go over some things uh, this morning, today, and I'm going to talk about our current tax code, spend a little bit of time on how ridiculous the current tax code really is. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but then I'm going to move into helping you make sure that you pay the least amount of tax possible using the current rules in the systems. I'm not talking about cheating. I'm just talking about understanding the rules and using them to your advantage. And uh, that may take up the first hour or so as a monologue. We'll see. And then we will open it up for questions. And also, because the show was so requested last year, uh, for a couple reasons, we're going to replay this show tomorrow in this time slot. One, so that everybody gets a chance to listen to it. We got it requested a lot last year. And also, Lisa and I will be attending... Uh, the memorial service for Mike Beckett's son from MD Alignment. Um, Mike Beckett over the years has come to be far more to me than just a a business partner and uh, part of our show. He's become a close friend. I met Mike a couple decades ago, actually, and uh, just been a a great guy. So we will be uh, with Mike and his family tomorrow supporting them. We'll also turn this show into a podcast and it might take me a week or so to get it up and posted. But once I do, I'll let you know. And then that way, if you want to go back to it while you're working on your taxes, you can do that. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Like I say, the first, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour could be a monologue, maybe less. But so if if you're holding right now, um, you can continue to hold. We're not really going to screen any calls So you could drop off if you want, and we'll let you know when we're going to open it up for some calls. Let's talk about our current tax code and what an absolute disaster it is. Uh, First of all, since 2001, just since 2001, so not that long, really, we have had 5,000 changes to the tax code. Actually, that was between... 2001 and 2011, a 10-year period. I couldn't get enough good numbers to see what changes. One of the problems, really, in seeing how many changes we have now to the tax code is the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, has made some major changes to the tax code. And honestly, I'm not totally up on those yet. Still working on that part of it. 5,000 changes in the last 10 years. That's just changes. Now, what is our, oh, let me also say this. The IRS only answers 68% of its calls. 
The IRS is so understaffed right now. And you know what? It's not that the IRS is really understaffed, in my opinion. It's that the tax code is too stinking complicated. So they're only answering 68% of their calls, and they're only responding to 48% of written correspondence. So that's the help you're going to get from the IRS. Probably none, and the answers aren't always correct. The system's too complicated. Let, let's take a look at it. it uh, it's well over 70,000 pages. I couldn't get an exact number again. The Affordable Care Act is kind of screwing that up. But I looked at it. it it's 4 million words. Now, the average person reads about 200 words a minute. And I'm pretty average when I'm reading for comprehension. If I want to really understand what I'm reading, I read about 150 words a minute when I'm really trying to comprehend. When I'm reading something for the enjoyment of it, I can read about three to 400 words a minute and still get the general idea in the story. So if I'm reading a novel, I usually read a lot faster. If I'm reading the tax code, 150 words a minute isn't going to cut it. I'm not going to understand it. I'm going to have to put more time in. But let's say that you just read at 200 words a minute. It will take you, if you read nonstop eight hours a day, it would take you 41 and a half days to read the code. Now, you wouldn't understand it. It would take you that long just to read it. Nobody understands it. Let, let's just be clear about that. I don't think there's a person on the planet that understands everything there is to understand about our tax code. It's too complicated. But let, when we look at it, the tax code makes no financial sense whatsoever. Now, let's remember the tax, the income tax exists for one reason. In my opinion, it should only exist for one reason, and that is to generate revenue for the federal government. I'm okay with that. I'd much rather see the fair tax. I've talked about it before. I'd rather see a consumption tax than an income tax. But we need a tax. I'm okay with that, and I'm okay with paying tax. But our system is ridiculous. Our system is no longer a method of collecting revenue for the federal government. Our system is now a way to try to control behavior and a way for the lobbyists to, to really work over the Congress. So, and what do I mean by that? Our tax code has become a way to control behavior. Why is it that a person who has a mortgage on a house gets a tax deduction, but a person who rents a place to live or pays cash for a house doesn't get a tax deduction. Why, why is that? Why? Because somebody took out a mortgage. Why should they get a tax deduction for that? If I paid cash for my house, I don't get one. If I rent a house, I don't get one. Why are we trying to encourage people to buy homes? See, we're using the tax code to affect behavior. I think that's a huge problem. We can look at this in so many areas. Why does a family of nine pay less tax than a single person? Remember, the, the, we pay tax to fund the federal government. We use those services. I have to believe that a family of nine uses a lot more government services than a single person does. But yet, 
the single person pays more tax because they don't get all those deductions. Why do we give deductions for having children? We're, we're trying to control behavior with the tax code. The more kids you have, the more deductions you get. And then there are, I, I counted 17 separate tax deductions all uh, based around children. Why? Why do we do that? Why does somebody get a tax break for buying an electric car? Again, ridiculous. We're, we're using the tax code. We're using your money and my money to bribe people into, into doing things that we think is good or better. But that's not the point. I, the government should not be trying to control our actions through the tax code. But that's exactly what it has become. Why do we allow these deductions for certain behaviors? Now, you could take it one step further because almost all of the tax deductions that we could go through, and there's thousands of them, almost all of them get phased out if you earn too much money. So now we're saying, okay, a person who has a mortgage deserves a tax break unless you earn $200,000 a year or more. A person who has children deserves a tax break. Unless you earn too much money, then you don't deserve it anymore. Why do we phase out tax deductions that we put in place? If we believe they're a good tax deduction, why phase it out just because somebody makes too much money? But that's exactly what happens. Retirement accounts. Uh, I love the Roth. I've been telling people about it for years. I'm now in danger of not being able to have a Roth unless I can really do some creative planning, I may not qualify for a Roth anymore. I'm earning too much money. It, it's insane. So that's the current code, and I think it's ridiculous. I'd much rather see us replace it with a fair tax, but I'm not going to spend too much time on that because I'm not going to change that now. When we come back, I'm going to start showing you exactly how to pay the least amount of tax you can possibly pay using our current system. You can take notes. Uh, the show will replay again tomorrow, and we will be podcasting it in a week or so. Uh, and when I podcast, I may even redo the whole thing, re-record it. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. Uh, but we will get some sort of a tax show up as a podcast so you can refer back to it. Stick around. We'll be right back. Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888 Road Dog. You might want to hold off on those calls, though. I'm going to continue on with our uh, tax show special. So what I want to help you with now is getting you ready for taxes. And that doesn't mean waiting until April 1st running around in a panic trying to grab all your receipts that are in Walmart bags still in your truck from last year. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about running this like a business and getting ready for taxes like a business. As much as we hate it, as much as I hate it, it will go much smoother if you start now and you will pay less tax if you start now. If you wait, I promise you, you're going to pay more tax. Start right now. And, and here's what you need to do. A, a couple options here. Virtually the year's over. I mean, we, we've got a week or two 
not much left of this year. So get your your 2014 numbers organized. Now, I'll give you a couple options. You could sit down and take all of your receipts in each category and just add them up for the whole year. And if you do that, you'll have good numbers for your tax return if you do it right. But you won't have any numbers to help your operation because you'll only be looking at a whole year and a whole year can tell us stuff, but we need a a better breakdown than that. So that's the easiest thing you could do. If you want to put the least amount of time into it, but at least do it now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Do that part right now. There are other things that are going to start happening in January and February that you need to be focused on. Get the numbers together right now. Now, the other option, and I think it is much better, is separate your year out into months and do your accounting by the month. You know, add up totals. I, I don't care if you had a scale ticket on January 7th, but at least add up all your scale tickets for January, all your fuel receipts for January, all your maintenance receipts, all your income. Then if you wanted to, you could create a simple profit and loss statement for each month. Now, if you really want to do it right, sign up for our profit gauges startup and we will get your We'll either help you do it. We can do it. There are several options. Obviously, the more work we have to do for you, the more we have to charge you. But we can help you get this together. I'd love to see you sit down and put all of this information into profit gauges for the year. And I can tell you, uh, it will take you less than 10 hours. If you were to to plan this out, much less than 10 hours, really, but that's a good estimate. If you were to sit down, try to put a whole year into the program, figure about 10 hours to do it. But you would have clear reports for each month, a profit and loss statement, a business report, and then you'll have one tax page you can send to your tax preparer and you'll be done. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit later about some specials we're offering on that part, but just know that that's step number one. You've got to get your business numbers together. Now, if you're a company driver, this isn't going to be that difficult. You need to look at things like per diem. Go back through, make sure you have the the right number of days for per diem. If you're a company driver and you've been receiving per diem, there's a, a two or three step process you need to do. You need to first identify how much per diem you qualified for. You do that by taking the number of nights you are away from home, multiplying it by 59, which is the rate. If you are outside of the country for any of those days, uh, primarily Canada, that's $65 for those days. Any day that you consider to be a partial. The day you left, the day you came home, count all your partial days as three quarters of a day. No matter how long it was, the IRS will allow you to use three quarters as a partial day. That's step number one, qualify how much you qualify for. If you were a company driver and you received per diem as pay any time throughout the year, you need to deduct the amount of per diem you received as pay from the amount of per diem you qualify for and what is left over is your deduction. If you've never received anything, then just add up your per diem and you're good. 
Now, if you're a company driver, once you do per diem, look for other things, gloves, boots, supplies, um, anything that you've spent money on in order to do your job. Uh, Sirius XM subscriptions, subscriptions to business podcast, business books that you've bought and listened to, those can all be deductible because they're helping you do their job. Same thing with owner operators on those. So as a company driver, this will be pretty simple, but don't put it off. Do it now. As an owner operator, this is critically important. Now is a great time to kill two birds with one stone. Get ready for taxes, but if you do it by the month, then you're also going to have a year's worth of business reports we can go back and look at. And if you've listened to the show, you hear people call in, I can really help people when I have the numbers in front of me. So get this done. Now, what you're going to do next, and this is a big one. This is one that I talk about every year, and yet so many people still don't do it. And so many people are paying tax on money they never received because of this. Make sure, if you are leased to a carrier, Make sure that your 1099, the 1099 that they send you, make sure that it's correct. We do surveys on this every year, and I'm not exaggerating. I don't think I have found a year yet where the mistakes were less than 15%. That, to me, that's big. They usually run between 15 and 25% of the 1099s that are issued are wrong. That means you have like a one in three, one in four shot of, of having an incorrect 1099. And what that means is if the 1099 is more than what you really got paid, and it almost always is. And I'll tell you why. A lot of people think the companies are trying to cheat people. They're not. When you look at accounting systems, and I've studied the carriers, settlement systems and accounting systems, it's much easier to misclassify something that shouldn't be 1099 and end up issuing the 1099 for too much. It's easier to do that than the other way around. So most of the mistakes are not in your favor. But even if they are, there's a huge danger to this. I, I know of a case, I personally got involved in a case, a, a couple came to me and said, we don't think our tax return is done right. We haven't had to pay tax in four years. It doesn't seem right. Can you look at it for me? Now, they were using a tax preparer who is well known in the trucking industry and has been all over the radio many times. And I don't know if this was an oversight on his part. Well, it clearly was an oversight. I, I don't know why or how it happened. But here, here's what happened. The, they sent me their tax return. And without even seeing supporting documents, I didn't need to see receipts. I didn't need to see settlements. With their tax return only, I spotted the mistake in less than five minutes. If I can do that in an audit, you're going to get killed. Now, the IRS doesn't necessarily hire the sharpest knives in the drawer, but this is what they do every day. The mistake was simple. I found it really quick. The carrier was issuing a 1099 that didn't include any of the fuel surcharge. 
Now, the fuel surcharge is clearly taxable income. Just because the carrier doesn't put it on the 1099 doesn't mean you don't have to pay tax on it. That's the mistake from the carrier. You owe tax on that money. You received it. It was revenue. Now, this couple had received twenty, thirty, forty, some thousand dollars in in fuel surcharge revenue that wasn't on the ten ninety nine. The tax preparer never bothered to to check, even though the numbers were so skewed. When I looked at this, it was obvious something was wrong, and it didn't take me long to figure out what was wrong. The tax preparer didn't catch it. Filed tax returns for at least four years. Well, the good news is on that fourth year, they were safe. Oh, no, excuse me. I'm sorry. They're never safe. What? Did you just say they're never safe from an audit? No, this couple would never be safe from an audit because the IRS has three years to audit a tax return if they believe that you are inflating expenses. If they think you're trying to take deductions for things that aren't deductible or you're inflating your numbers on the expense side, they only have three years to audit you. If they believe you're hiding income, there is no statute of limitations whatsoever. They can audit you forever if they believe you're hiding income. And in this case, it's clear they were hiding income, not on purpose, but they should have known they should have been able to look at their own tax return and know that that was wrong. So no matter which way the mistake goes, it's not good for you. You've got to verify the 1099. I'm going to come back and talk about this even more because this is an important piece. I'm going to give you some options on how you can do this when we come back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number, yeah, yeah, hold off on the number. I'm still not taking calls anyway. So this year I thought I'd combine two holiday traditions. One is the tax show we started last year and had a great response to. The other one is my annual Little Drummer Boy Day where I play all the different versions of Little Drummer Boy, my favorite holiday song. That one is my new favorite. Came out, I think, last season uh, by Pentatonix. That was totally acapella. All the sounds you heard in there were made by the people. If you haven't seen that one live, you got to go watch it. All right, let's get back to taxes. 1099s. Now, you don't wait to you don't need to wait to get your 1099 to start on this. Here's why. If you are leased to a carrier and this is where this is a concern with with only a very, very few exceptions. I, I've looked at thousands of company settlements over the years, and there are some exceptions, but for the most part, every settlement I've ever looked at each week, there is a number somewhere on that settlement that if you were to add that number together all year long, it would come up to what your 1099 should be. Now, I can't tell you which line it is. If I If I were looking at your settlements, I could, Sometimes I have to run some calculations and work on it a bit to figure it out. But you could also contact your settlement department and ask them, which number do I need to add up all year long to see what my 1099 is going to be? Now, you could do that now. When the 1099 gets there, if it matches, great, you're done. If it doesn't, 
All you have to do is figure out why. So start the work now. I'm also going to give you two other options here because I want people to do this. It's that important. Here's the thing. I I have seen examples of somebody who received a 1099 for around $160,000. They filed their tax return, thought everything was just fine. I even looked at the numbers. It didn't look like it was, there wasn't anything really out of whack. And yet it turns out that the 1099 should have only been 140,000. $20,000 they paid tax on, they should have never paid tax on. I don't want that to happen to anybody. Check this number. Now, $20,000 too much in revenue means you will pay out of your pocket about $6,000 in tax that you don't owe. That's insane. Check this number. Do it yourself, or I'm going to give you another option. We will do this for you, flat rate of a hundred bucks. I will lose money on some of these because I will have to pay some of my employees maybe more on the problems. Some of them I'll make some money, which is a good thing. Uh, But you'll get the number right for a hundred bucks. It's a whole lot cheaper than six thousand if it's wrong. One other option: we are on a Big, big push to get people into profit gauges this year. One, because I make money doing it. I'm a capitalist. But two, we know that when people are in profit gauges, their business does better. And that's what I want. I want our tribe to succeed. That's our number one goal. So here's what we're going to offer. You know, our startup special, which is already absolutely killer. For $25, we do your first month's accounting for you. We set up all your accounting. We do your training. We we do everything we have to do to get you started with your accounting and get you to understand it. We do it all for 25 bucks. That is a killer deal. I'm going to really sweeten the pot. If you are a new Profit Gages user, you use the startup program, the $25 startup program, we will verify your 1099 amount free won't cost you a hundred bucks. You won't have to sit down and do it all. We'll do it for you. Now I'm going to lose money on all of these. No question. We already lose money on the $25 startup. That's okay though, because we get people into the program. They stay in the program because we like it. Works good. We're really going to sweeten the pot though. Now for $25, you get everything you always got in the startup program. Plus we will verify that your 1099 amount is correct at no charge. If you want to sign up for the startup program, you can do it right online. You can go to the website, letstruck.com, or you can give us a call, and I'll give you that number right now, and I'll give it to you throughout the day. It's 855-800-FUEL, 855-800-3835. And that's all the time I'm going to spend on 1099s and the special. Just know you've got to get this done. You've got to check it. You have three options. Do it yourself. Pay us 100 bucks to do it. Pay us 25 and get the whole startup program plus your 1099 amount verified. Now, what are you going to do next? First off, you've made sure all of your numbers are correct. Your accounting for the business is up to date. If you're a company driver, your accounting on per diem and your other stuff is up to date. Your 1099, you have a number that you believe is correct if you do what I've said. And all you have to do is wait for the 1099 to get there now. So what else do you need to do? 
Well, in January, you need to sit down and start making a list of documents you think you should receive for taxes. So if you have a savings account, you'll be getting a 1099 interest. If you have a brokerage account, you could be getting several different types of 1099s as far as possibly interest, dividends, uh, earnings. If you've bought and sold stock throughout the year, you need to get your documents on that unless you bought and sold them within a retirement account and then there's nothing to report. Uh, If you've got mortgage interest, you need to be looking out for that real estate tax. If you made any HSA contributions, you need to be getting those documents in order. Start making a list of documents you expect to get. That way, when they get there, open them up in the mail, check them off on your list, put them in your tax folder. You're all set. You will be nice and prepared. Now, one more thing that I think you need to do right now, and this is just kind of a way to hold yourself accountable to all this. I want you to call your tax preparer and make an appointment for February 15th. By February 15th, if you follow this timeline that I've just outlined, by February 15th, you'll be waiting around and you should have all your tax documents in the mail by that day. Uh, The IRS says that they have to be in the mail postmarked by January 31st. 15 days later should be plenty of time. You've done all the other work. All your documents come in. You're ready. I want you to be at your tax preparer on February 15th. If you use a tax preparer out of state that you don't go to personally, I want you to make sure you postmark your tax package to your preparer by February 15th you will get the best tax service possible if you do this. Because I can tell you, I ran a tax business for years. Starting on February 1st, we took all of January to get ready ourselves. Starting on February 1st, we'd be sitting around waiting for a tax return to come in so we could do it and stick it right back in the mail on the way out. And and you would fight all through February to stay ahead Because once March got there, you were buried. There was no more staying ahead from the time March hit till about June. If you run a a successful, profitable, busy tax business, you will be swamped and behind from March to June. It's just the way it works. I've done it enough years to know. You want to be in that early group when you get my full attention. You get your tax preparer's full attention because he's not 40 tax returns behind already. He's waiting for them to come in, and you'll get a much better tax return. I, on average, people who do this pay two to $3,000 less a year in tax than people who wait, and there are lots of reasons. If you wait, you're going to rush. You're going to miss things. Your tax preparer is going to be busy. He or she will be rushing and missing things you won't get the very best tax return. My goal, my goal for this show is to make sure you pay the least amount of tax possible. So when we come back, I'm going to start talking about tax deductions, things that, well, I'll I'll talk about that more when we get back, but that's what we're going to do next. I should, well, I don't know if I'll get through that all in the next segment or not. I might, maybe not. Uh, If not, I'm going to keep going. I want you to get this information. I want you to have the best tax season you've ever had. 
And I don't want you to give our federal government one more penny than you need to. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. A little throwback there. Remember the ladies of the 80s? That was Joan Jett doing Little Drummer Boy, one of my favorites. We're uh, we're getting right back to our tax show. Somebody just reminded me of something on Facebook, and, and I'm glad they did because I didn't have this in my notes. If you are an S-Corp, and they're one of the deductions coming up that I, I need to clarify S-Corps as well, but if you're an S-Corp, you need to push this schedule up a little bit. Don't forget your corporate tax return is due March 15th. So if you need to get your accounting in order, get your 1099 corrected, you have even less time. You've got to get your tax return done by March 15th, your corporate return. So then you'll have your K-1s and you can do your personal return by April 15th. Now, let's talk about deductions. It drives me insane when I hear people buy something that they don't really need for the business, like Chrome, something non-essential. And they justify it by saying, well, it's tax deductible. Yeah, the problem with that is, is people somehow think that a tax deduction is a tax credit, and it's not. A tax deduction is not dollar for dollar. If you go spend $1,000 on Chrome, you're only going to get about a $300 tax deduction. So if, if we're looking at running the business profitably, you have to decide, is that item really worth $700? That's what it's costing you after taxes even. It, it, about 70% roughly of whatever you spend is still money you spent. You're only going to get a tax deduction for about 30% of it. So don't just go buy stuff to get a tax break. Run the business profitably Buy the things you need for the business that are profitable, that that make the business more efficient. And then if you want to buy Chrome, go ahead. Don't justify it by saying it's tax deductible. I mean, that that's but so that's what the majority of people have always done because they don't understand taxes. The people who understand taxes, which is the minority, and I'm trying to get more and more of you to understand them, do something totally different. They don't look for ways to spend money to get a tax deduction. They look at all the ways they're already spending money and make sure they're getting the deduction for them. And many of you aren't. Many of you are spending lots of money that could potentially be tax deductible, but you haven't set your business up properly in order to do it, or you don't, you're not aware of these and you're not doing the right paperwork, whatever it is, we're going to go through those. So don't spend money just to get a tax deduction. Look for money you're already spending first. Let's talk about that. Uh, The first one, very controversial. I'm going to give you some guidelines around this one. You're going to have to make up your own mind, though. That's the home office deduction. The IRS has been back and forth on this so many times. Uh, I'm going to give you some guidelines. If you are leased to a carrier, I would say... Don't take the home office deduction unless you are pretty aggressive and you don't mind an audit. And and look, I don't. I mean, I'd rather not go through an audit, but I'm not afraid of an audit. My numbers are right. I'm not cheating anywhere. 
Uh, if you want to audit me, you can. The home office deduction is one of those things that we seem to be pretty clear on will increase your chances of getting an audit. If you're leased to a carrier, the way I understand the rules this year, you probably don't qualify. It's very confusing. Now, if you are on your own authority and you are running the the dispatch and the back office out of your home, then I would recommend you take it. It, it is a legitimate deduction. I've read through all the rules, and I believe if that's the case, then you do qualify. If you're leased to a carrier, the IRS is going to argue that you're not generating any revenue in the home office, and then it's not deductible. That's one of their weird thing kicks they've been on lately. But if you've got your authority, you're running the back office, dispatching, doing all those things, that that clearly now you're even generating revenue in that office. So I think that's the difference. Now, if you are cheating, overinflating numbers, uh doing some things that aren't completely above board on taxes, I would probably say just skip the home office deduction completely because you're not going to get a a huge write-off from this. Now, I take it every year, and I haven't been audited yet, but I, I take it every year. I want every penny I can get. You have to decide. I will tell you it will probably increase your chances for an audit. Now, the good news is, most of the people listening to me fall in a business category that the audits are less than 1%. Maybe by taking the home office deduction, I don't know, I'm just going to guess, you increase your chances to 10%. I don't know. You have to decide on that one. The rest of these, though, and that's why I wanted to get that one out of the way in the beginning. The rest of these are clearly tax deductions. The IRS, it's their rules. They write about these. They're the ones that put the rules in place. And the rest of these, I, I wouldn't hesitate to take. I would highly encourage you to take all of these deductions. But make sure you've got your paperwork right. So let's talk about the first one, personal vehicle miles. If you own a business, the IRS completely understands that you need to use a vehicle to, to run that business. You, you got to go to the bank. You got to go buy stuff, supplies, pay bills. There's all kinds of reasons. All you have to do is keep a log. It's pretty simple. There are apps today that can help you do this. You basically just need to know the date, the number of miles you drove the vehicle for business, and the reason. So you could put January 3rd, went to the bank, 27 miles. That's it. I mean, that's a good record for that trip. And you would get a deduction of 56 cents a mile. You don't have to keep any receipts. You don't have to keep gas receipts, maintenance receipts, insurance, none of that. You get the deduction for the mileage with no receipts. Just keep the log. Date, reason for the trip, number of miles, 56 cents a mile. Huge tax deduction that you deserve you're spending the money already, and you're not taking the deduction. These are the ones I want you to find. Now, if you have medical, if you go to the doctor a lot, clinics a lot, things like that, run to the store to get medical supplies, keep track of your medical miles separately. They are deductible at 23 and a half cents. Now, the odds of you getting a deduction for that one probably slim, 
and I'm not going to go into the medical deduction. It's too complicated. But if you think you might have a lot of medical costs this year, then you should also be keeping track of your medical miles. That could add to it. The third category of mileage deductions is charitable. Uh, anytime you do use your, <coughs> excuse me, use your vehicle for charitable reasons. Your deduction is 14 cents a mile. <clears throat> For example, one year, well, several years, uh, I would drive <clears throat> drive our kids around and we would pick up food from local grocery stores that they would donate to um, food banks. And we put a lot of miles on a vehicle. It's all deductible at 14 cents a mile. Not a huge deduction, but something you should be aware of. The big one is the business, 56 cents a mile for the business deductions. The next one, paying your children. So how many of you have children? I can see a bunch of hands going up right now. How many of you have grandchildren? I see a bunch of hands going up right now. How many of you have children and grandchildren that cost you money? Well, everybody that raised their hand last time, probably raising their hand this time, but how many of you are deducting everything you could be deducting when you have children? You're probably doing their deduction and their exemption and all those. Those are pretty straightforward. But if you own a business, you can pay your children to work in that business. And there is a huge tax break for doing this if you understand it and you do it right. So I'm coming up on uh, the end of the first hour here. I probably need one more segment uh, to go through the rest of the deductions I have, and then we'll get to some calls and questions. But paying your children or your grandchildren, stepchildren count also. So let's go through. It could be a a natural-born child, a stepchild, a foster child, or a grandchild. We can't do cousins or nieces or nephews or things like that, but we can do children, stepchildren, grandkids, uh, foster kids, things like that. They all qualify. If you've got those and you've got things in your business you could use some help with, you can pay the children and get a big tax break. And there are so many other advantages. In fact, I'm going to come back and talk about that when we get back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. You can also come on over to my page on Facebook. I posted the uh, tax stuff up there about the show today. Not all these details, but if you want to start a discussion, we can do it on my Facebook page. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're talking all about taxes today. I have one goal in mind. I want to make sure you pay the least amount of tax possible. If you follow these guidelines, do a little of the work, you'll be able to send less to Uncle Sam this year. So let's continue on. We've talked about the home office deduction. We've talked about personal vehicle miles. Now we're talking about paying your children. Now, the IRS clearly has rules for this. There's a whole section in the IRS code about paying your own children, grandchildren, the whole list I went through. And here's the big advantage. The big advantage. Now, 
This only applies to sole proprietors and partnerships. Unfortunately, if you're an S-Corp, this doesn't work. And unfortunately, we have to make the decision sometimes to move people into an S-Corp because there are bigger savings. And if you do, you can still continue to pay your children to work in your business. You won't get this one big break that I'm about to talk about. If you're a sole proprietor, a partnership, and you pay your children to work in your business, children under 18, if they're adult children, they are treated like every other employee. But children under 18, grandchildren, the whole list, you don't pay Social Security and Medicare tax on those employees. Nobody does. They don't have to pay Social Security and Medicare. You don't have to pay the other half but you still get to take a full tax deduction for every penny you pay them. So for every every dollar you give your children, grandchildren, you don't pay tax on that money. They won't pay income tax or they won't pay Social Security or Medicare. And as long as we keep them under the standard deduction, they won't pay any income tax either. And that that number this year is up to $6,200. So per child, you could conceivably pay them up to $6,200 each and not have to pay any tax on the money, and they won't pay any tax on the money. Now, I'm going to come back with the rules in a little bit, but I want to show you some of the advantages of this. For example, just on the $6,200, if you only had one child that you paid the full amount, you would save $1,860 in tax. That's a big savings. Now, there's a couple ways you could do this. You can actually give the money to the kids, and I'm going to talk about that in a bit, or you could just make them pay that money back to you for rent, living expenses, all kinds of things. It's totally up to you. That's a moral question, who gets the money? The tax question is pay them, decide the moral issue between yourselves, but pay them the money. Let's think about what that could do. If you only paid your child, let's not talk about the tax deduction for a second. Let's talk about the possibility this creates for the child. Let's say that you only could squeeze out an extra $2,000 this year that you could truly afford to pay the child for the work they do. It's their money. They get to keep it but you're going to help them manage it. And I'm not talking about the 6,200 anymore. I'm talking about you pay them 2,000 for the work they do for the year. Because they have revenue now, because they have earnings, they qualify to open IRAs. You want to open them a Roth IRA because they don't need a traditional IRA. They don't need a tax break. They're not gonna pay any tax anyway. If you open a Roth IRA, and you put the $2,000 in, that's it. One time you contributed $2,000 when the child was 10 years old, and you never do this again, ever, ever. You just did it one year, one time, $2,000. The child's 10. That means they have 60 years till they will retire. You leave the $2,000 in there. You never add another penny to it, ever. If you can achieve an 8% growth rate, not 8% interest, that's different. We're going to try to achieve an 8% growth rate. Not difficult. If we look back over the history of 
the the mutual funds, the index mutual funds that I recommend, many, many times they've returned better than 8% over a long period of time. 10 is a, a normal number to use. I've seen 12. We're going to go with eight. If you achieve 8% growth rate over that time, get this, get this. The $2,000 that you contributed and then stopped and never contributed again at age 70, when the child retires, they would have $239,000 in their account from 2000. That's it. That's the power of compounded growth over time. So looking at that, if you did it four years in a row and then quit, and we're only talking about $2,000 a year, you could put in more, but if you only did $2,000 a year, four years in a row and stopped from the time the child was 10 to 14 and then stopped, they would have close to a million dollars when they retired and they'd never have to save another penny. That is amazingly powerful. Now, I could go into all kinds of things about how the money should be invested. I wouldn't put it in their name. It would be set up differently, but I'm not going to go into that right now. I want you to understand how powerful this could be. You can also be powerful for your business and saving money. So two huge benefits to doing this. Um, Not much paperwork that you have to do. The one thing I will tell you about this is that The child needs to be of a reasonable age to do the job you say they're doing, and they should really be doing the job, and you should be paying them. I I, I believe in doing it right. So, for example, I, I think about the earliest age we can push, just my opinion, there's no rules on this, I think about seven. I think at seven or eight, and and I, my son was working in my business at seven years old. He was filing paperwork, and we showed him how to do it. We followed up on him. He did the work. He got paid for it. So at seven, there are some things a child can understand and do. At four, not going to happen. I don't even think at five or six. I think seven is reasonable. Uh, but but a 10-year-old could clearly be helping you work on a truck. I mean, I can remember helping my dad work in the garage when I was seven or eight. So there's things you, they could be washing the truck. They could be detailing the truck. They could be cleaning the truck out. They could be helping you with paperwork. They could be helping you with accounting. Depending on what kind of things you need done in your business, you can pay them to do it. Huge benefits all the way around. Don't miss this one. All right. One more I'm going to squeeze in here before the break, and then we can get to some calls. And this one is vacation travel. Again, the IRS has very, very clear rules on deducting business and vacation combined. The IRS says you can do this. It's in the rules, and they tell us how. For example, if you are going to take a trip to Disney and you fly the whole family down, now, you work in your business, So your plane, now we're going to do some business while we're in Florida. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But you work in your business, so your plane ticket is deductible. Your spouse should work in your business, so their plane ticket is deductible. Remember what I talked about paying the kids? If they're part of your business, their plane ticket could be deductible. Now that's pushing it a little bit, but not a lot. I, I, I would 
stand up for it in an audit. Once you get to Disney, every day that you are in Florida, um, we're going to Disney in Florida, every day that you're there, if you do some business that day, that day's expenses become deductible. But you don't have to do business every day. You could do business one or two days out of 10, and those days would be deductible. The rest of it's just vacation. But if I wake up in the morning and I go see a couple potential shippers in Orlando, there's thousands of them, that's a work day. I get to deduct my hotel for the night, my rental car for the day, my meals under per diem, all deductible that day. The next day, let's say we just get up and we go to the water park. I don't do any work. Can't deduct the hotel or the rental car that night or the meals. But all the rest of the stuff's still deductible. Every day that I go work, I could go to a truck dealer, look at buying new trucks. I could go visit carriers to possibly lease on to them. Like I said, I could go visit shippers and brokers to look for freight. Lots and lots of reasons that I could be doing work while I was on vacation. All of my vacations are tax deductible. Now, there is an exception. You can't do this if you go out of the country. Not allowed if you go out of the country. So cruises don't count. In order for a cruise to be tax deductible, the ship has to be registered in the U.S. and all the ports of call have to be in the U.S. There's only one cruise that I know of. It's a seven-day Hawaiian cruise that just goes around the islands. The ship is registered in the U.S., almost unheard of. And all the ports are in Hawaii. That's the U.S. So if you go out of the country, it doesn't count. If you're on a cruise, it doesn't count. But everything else does. Tax-deductible vacations. Tax-deductible children in the business. Tax-deductible personal vehicle mileage. Lots of great ways to pay less tax. All right. When we come back, I'm going to get to your calls. So start lining up the questions. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're talking about taxes. I'm going to get to your calls in just a minute. That was Jessica Simpson doing Little Drummer Boy. I think she's the only person on the planet that can make Little Drummer Boy sound like the soundtrack to a porn movie. But we're doing different versions of Little Drummer Boy today, my favorite Christmas music. Uh, I want to thank, let me go back and make sure. Uh, I want to thank Brian for sending me a, a message on Facebook, posting up on Facebook in the tax discussion, something I forgot to mention, critically important. Our tax system is way too complicated. But this is critical in this industry. This is one of the things you don't ever, ever want to do. You never want to claim that you live in your truck. If you do, you will wipe out a $15,000 tax deduction like that. If you live in your truck, you are never away from home and you can't collect per diem. You don't qualify for per diem because you're never away from home. I don't care what you have to do. Establish a residence somewhere. Now, your best bet would be to establish a residence in one of the seven states without a state income tax. But do it somewhere. Don't lose that tax deduction. Don't ever walk into an audit and claim that you live in your truck. You will get killed. 
Don't do it. Thanks, Brian, for uh, reminding me.